Hello and welcome to Runway Girl Network in Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RGN contributing editor John Walton and today I'm in conversation with Reuters correspondent Victoria Bryan in Berlin. Victoria, how did you come to start working on the aviation beat? Hi, John. It's good to be here. Um, I sort of um, fell into the aviation beat, actually. It was um, I moved to Germany in, in 2010 and uh, was asked if I would like to start covering Lufthansa. And, um, well, I agreed because it's a, it's a very exciting um, industry to, to write about. And um, it's good fun. We, have a, uh, we look at things from the financial aspect a lot, um, but... As I'm sure you and your readers and listeners are aware, there's been an awful lot of strikes to keep us busy in, in Germany over the last few years. So it's been uh, interesting to look at the uh, industry from from that angle, from more of the uh, what matters to the consumers and, in fact, to all of the people who um, are reading reading stories about Lufthansa, but, of course, have to fly on them at the same time as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it feels like this has been an unusually eventful year, this this last sort of 12-month period for, for German airlines. I mean, we have the um, Air Berlin being essentially sold off by Etihad at this point, and Lufthansa and Eurowings taking some of the assets, but not all. Uh, can you summarise the current state of play with that situation? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time. I mean, one of the... Um one of the things that a lot of, of airline CEOs talk about, especially those in Europe, is how there has been no consolidation on the market. And that's been holding back the profits of carriers in Europe compared to their US counterparts. And um, we've seen some deals sort of going on in Europe. Um, you've seen the formation of the Air France KLM group. You've seen the formation of the IAG group based around British Airways, Iberia, Aer Lingus. And now over the last sort of 12 months and, and certainly looking forward this year as well, um, Lufthansa seems to be taking center stage in a, in a reshuffle of the German market. Um, so where we're at at the moment is Lufthansa wants to expand its, its low-cost unit, Eurowings. Um, and it sees Eurowings as a platform for consolidation in Europe as well. And um, the two big deals that it's done, that it just announced at the end of last year, so it's uh, wet leasing 38 planes um, from Air Berlin. Of those, 33 will go to Eurowings. The other five will go to the Lufthansa unit, Austrian Airlines. Um, Lufthansa says that of the 33 planes it's going to take from Air Berlin, up to 20 will be used to replace other um, Eurowings planes. So in that way, it hopes to, to streamline and take some of the excess capacity out of the market. The other big deal is um, um, the Brussels Airlines deal. Lufthansa already had a stake in Brussels Airlines, and it's now decided to um, exercise an option to buy the remaining stake in Brussels Airlines, and it's looking at how it can also use Brussels Airlines to to expand its its Eurowings platform as well. Mm. Yeah, and what do you think that's going to look like? Is it going to be a sort of slightly better Eurowings for the Belgian market, or is it going to be just regular Eurowings for the Belgian market? Do you reckon? Um, it's interesting. I think that they will actually keep the, the Brussels Airlines brand seems to be the thinking at the moment, but with sort of like an extra um, tagline on the side of the plane saying part of the Eurowings group. Um, I think Lufthansa is, is sort of, they recognize that Brussels Airlines is, is a big brand. Um, they have a lot of business travelers into and out of Brussels, which makes it, um, which makes it a lucrative market for Lufthansa. 
So they're not so keen to destroy that brand equity that they've got there. Um, however, they are sort of taking a bit more time with the with the Brussels Airlines. Um, they've said that they want to concentrate on integrating the Air Berlin planes first. And they are really rushing on on getting those planes from Air Berlin. Uh, they're trying to get them all repainted um, as quickly as possible into the Eurowings colours. So certainly we'll see um, those planes take on the Eurowings identity more quickly than the Brussels Airlines ones, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and that would make sense. I mean, of course, one of the things that I find very interesting is that there's a lot of legacy uh, Africa coverage for the Lufthansa Group over Brussels on the old Sabina routes, right? The predecessor to Brussels <laughs> Airlines. Mm. Um, and it sort of feels in a way like a, a strategy that Lufthansa, Lufthansa the Group has had is to use those um, existing, uh, I guess, third country uh, airlines, right? So it's the Brussels, it's the Swiss, it's the Austrian. Mm-hmm. A sort of almost a, a boutique version of the, of the Lufthansa Group experience um, for passengers. So look, you do look at things like Lufthansa first class versus Swiss first class, right? Um, you know, those, those two uh, options are, are both high end. Um, Austrian has a relatively high end business class renowned for its, uh, for, for its food. And of course, Brussels Airlines is actually one of the better options for getting into particularly the um, parts of Africa that Belgium had colonial interests in. Um, and I'd be, I'd be really interested to see whether or not Lufthansa will keep the existing sort of Thompson Vantage lie flat bed situation for Brussels rather than going Eurowings on those planes, um, which, you know, it's just premium economy up front and then a lot of economy down the back. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think that is definitely one of the, the tricky bits for Lufthansa with the with the Brussels Airlines deal. And, and uh, of course, you know that, that Lufthansa itself has been, you know, they, they have quite a lot of gaps in their coverage in, in Africa. So that was one of the reasons why Brussels was so attractive to them. Um, I mean, having said that, I think that um, I think that Lufthansa is also very aware that they do still have this this premium um, demand that they need to satisfy. Um, and I think that they will be very aware of that, especially with the with the routes to Africa. And and Lufthansa has uh, they've invested I think it was a uh, about three billion euros over the last few years in improving their product, such as with the new business class cabins, introducing the premium economy as well. So I think they're they're very aware that those those Africa routes are um, are a separate operation than than what. They want to use the other Brussels, like the more the, the more short haul routes, um, to more of the tourist destinations. Um, so I think they will be keen to to keep that to keep that difference um, within the group. But um, it'll be interesting to see how they how they do that. Whether they whether they do refit some of the Brussels Airlines planes completely as Eurowings for the tourist routes, but then leave them as as Brussels Airlines part of Eurowings for the for the longer haul routes into Africa. You're right. Now, in terms of the industrial relations situation, which is, of course, one of the things that you can't really talk about Lufthansa without these days, um, where are the uh, major unions currently standing in terms of their relationships with, with management? Who's got the contracts, who doesn't have contracts, and who's still fighting? Okay, it's um, basically, so there are three main um, groups of staff at Lufthansa, as with other airlines. You've got, the, you've got the pilots, you've got the cabin crew, and you've got the ground staff. Um, Lufthansa um, has managed to um, agree deals with the cabin crew and the ground staff at its mainline brand. 
Um, and notably, the big success for Lufthansa there was was shifting the pension schemes so that they've gone from a defined benefit to a defined contribution um, pension scheme. And um, this was a this was a big step for Lufthansa. Um, they're about sort of ten years behind, or if not more, behind many companies in the in the UK, which uh, shifted to those models quite some time ago. The big sticking point remains the pilots, um, and the pilots. There's always been tension between Lufthansa pilots and management. Um, it sort of goes back to this tradition that you have in Germany where staff representatives um, have a seat on um, on supervisory boards at companies and they have a concept called the Mitbestimmung, which basically is what gives labor representatives a, a voice in Germany and a voice when it comes to high up company strategy decisions. Now, Lufthansa is... Um, um, trying to um, obviously reduce costs. Um, it's been sort of, you know, it's all part of the shift to um, to low cost carriers. You know, Ryanair, EasyJet have come along. They can transport people for much cheaper. And Lufthansa is desperately trying to get the cost down. Um, and it's been sort of trying to to achieve that with its pilots for quite some time now. Um, it all sort of came to a head a few years ago when Lufthansa under um, Carson Spohr, who took over in 2014, when they unveiled plans to expand the Eurowings into their big low-cost division. And that caused a lot of tension with the pilots because they saw um, – they could see that Lufthansa was trying to sidestep their more lucrative contracts and they feared that um, there would be less growth at the Lufthansa mainline brand as a result and and instead a lot of the growth would be shifted to this um, low-cost subsidiary. So that has really not helped uh, relations at all um, with the pilots. And, uh, and it's, been, um, it's been a lot of deja vu over the past couple of years with um, – with Lufthansa and their pilots, where they will sit down and they will talk, and it all seems like they're making progress on on agreeing um, new pay contracts and on agreeing um, uh, deals for for Eurowings as well as part of that, and also on the pension issue. Um, but then the talks collapse, and um, and then we end up having strikes and then there are calls for mediation and then we eventually move to mediation. And then um, last time it failed because they couldn't agree on how they wanted to carry out the mediation. Um, so that sort of then led to a whole um, restart of the process. And um, and now where we are is that um, they are talking again. We had strikes um, in November Um now the pilots and Lufthansa are, are talking to each other again, but they have agreed that they are going to take each issue one by one. So last year they wanted to agree a wide-ranging deal, much like Lufthansa has with the cabin crew, whereby it would be a pay deal and a pension deal and a working conditions deal, such as getting more flexible hours in and more productivity out of the crews. Relations deteriorated so much between management and the pilots that now they have decided they are just going to take it one issue at a time. So at the moment, they are now back to the negotiating table and they are looking only at the issue of pay at the moment. Um, they are now talking to each other and they have agreed there'll be no strikes until the end of January. So we have a we have a couple more weeks of uh, industrial peace, as they call it. <laughs> now, it's, it's, it's really fascinating because there's, there's a lot of 
um, uniquely German uh, ways of dealing with these things. It sounds... Well, actually, let me ask you. Does it feel like both sides are negotiating in good faith? Or is one side trying to drag its feet because they, they, they win from the status quo? Or is it something else? It's sort of all part of this, of this shift towards... Uh, you know the the low cost side of the industry and the, and the Lufthansa pilots they're very they're very keen to protect not only their own contracts but but new pilots who might want to work for Lufthansa and they're very much don't want to see it go to this kind of system whereby pilots are employed by third party agencies and and then placed with airlines and um, as you know Lufthansa has an excellent reputation for training its own pilots they've they've got one of the you know the finest pilot schools worldwide. And that does come at a cost. Um, part of the problem has also been where, where the row has been played out in the public and via the media, where both sides have sent out press releases making a new offer or indeed calling for strike action without informing the other side personally first. And that, and that has often been what has sort of worsened the relations and, and then Force the talks to halt. But at the moment, I'm I'm fairly optimistic because both sides have been have been very quiet, and both sides seem to have agreed a confidentiality clause at the moment, and are not playing this this row out in public, as it were. Instead, they're they're sitting down behind closed doors, mm. which I think should hopefully lead to some resolution this time around, at least on at least on one issue of the yeah. day. Yeah. I mean, and then they have to go through um, all of the rest, I guess, later in the year once they once they finish that one, do they? Indeed, yes, that's what they've that's what they've decided that they will have to they will have to take all of these issues one by one. So, so it could be a very long drawn out process. Of course, this is also interesting in Germany, whereby the strike rules are so that um, you have to have a reason for going on strike, and. One of the reasons that um, a court was able to halt one of the pilot strikes was because um, the pilots said they were striking over pay, whereas in actual fact, whenever they did speak in public, they were then um, complaining about uh, the plans for Eurowings. And so a court ruled at the time that the strike wasn't allowed because they were ostensibly not striking over the issue that they were apparently in negotiations about. So... This time, the pilots have been very clear that the strikes before Christmas were over the pay deal. They were not over the Eurowing strategy. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so once we get this pay deal sorted, we could then, we could then, if the talks then move to the Eurowing strategy, we could then see strikes over that. But fingers crossed, it won't come to that. <laughs> right, right. Um, so in addition to the Eurowing side of things, um, a little while ago, Lufthansa was also talking about what they were calling at the time jump, which was a sort of mainline light sort of mm. operation. Did that come to pass? Where is that currently standing? That has come to pass. Yes, that one was um, all done um, fairly quickly. That was a that was a deal with um, with the cabin crews. Um, to um, for them to basically work more hours on on routes to um, tourist destinations such as in Thailand where Lufthansa can't sell as many business class tickets um, and make their money on them that way and um, and it's interesting that that all seems to be working fine and that hasn't been too controversial at all and um, 
What is interesting is that Air France now wants to do um, a similar um, a similar project on on their on some of their long haul routes to tourist destinations, and uh, and they'll be calling that one uh, they'll be calling that one Boost. It does feel slightly <laughs> like um, going around the uh, sort of late nineties, early two thousand situation with these uh, full service carriers sort of hiving off little bits of the airline slightly separately, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, pulled, exactly. Pulled I mean, it, it's, it was a bit of a drop. Yeah, it, it is a bit of a drop in the ocean for Lufthansa. It's not. It's not going to be the the big change that they wanted, but it certainly enabled them to to cut the losses on some of those routes, indeed. And uh, and Air France seemed to be quite taken with it when they uh, when they announced it last year. <laughs> yeah, well, but hopefully this time for them, no no executives are, are attacked and have their shirts ripped off. Um, yes, <laughs> the choice of French industrial relations. Um, so, I guess in terms of the competitive environment for Lufthansa, um, it feels like they've got this pressure from below from the Euro LCCs, right? So the Ryanair's, the EasyJets, and then the mm-hmm. sort of pressure, I guess, from above from uh, the Emirates, the Etihad's, and the Qatars. Mainly, is is that a reasonable assessment of where they see their competition and their market? I definitely think so. Yeah, certainly on the on the short haul, it's uh, within Europe. Then they have yeah. Then it's the competition from Ryanair and EasyJet, and that's sort of the main. That's the main reasoning behind Eurowings. Um, I should also say one thing is that the, the pilots themselves they don't have a beef with the whole Eurowings concept. They recognise that something needs to be. They recognise that something needs to be done because of the threat from Ryanair and EasyJet. It's just that they they want more of a say in how that is in how that is put on the table and, and how that business is shaped. Um, and then and then you're right, on the on the long haul, it has indeed been the the Emirates, um, Etihad, Qatar Airways. It's also of course been Turkish Airlines. Which often gets uh, forgotten in the debate as well. I mean Turkish Airlines um, has traditionally had quite strong ties with Lufthansa. There's a there's a big Turkish community in Germany. They they work together as as partners. They're in the uh, they're in the Star Alliance together. And um, but but Turkish has also been funneling uh, a lot of the traffic away and 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 routing that through Istanbul. So so that has also um, been a problem for Lufthansa that their their one time partner Turkish Airlines was also was also taking a lot of their their transfer traffic, particularly on the on the long haul routes. Mm, mm, interesting. And of course, Ryanair is now going to be flying to and from Frankfurt proper rather than um, two hours away Frankfurt Harm now, isn't it? Indeed, that was um, that was a very interesting uh, move last year. Um, of course, they um, they announced that deal on the same day as the Lufthansa uh, third quarter results presentation, which also gave it uh, an extra an extra bit of spice on the day in Germany. Um, it's it's going to be a very modest operation for Ryanair to begin with. Um, just a just a handful of routes, just a, just two planes um, there out of the main Frankfurt airport. Um, but yes, it does it does really throw down um, the gauntlet to to Lufthansa. Um, interestingly, some also see it as a chance for Lufthansa because, of course, Frankfurt Airport has. Um, among the highest costs in in Europe, um, outside of outside of Heathrow, and um, it also has quite long turnaround times. And um, and if 
Lufthansa can can negotiate with Fraport to also get lower fees and uh, and shorter turnaround times, then then that of course would be greatly beneficial to to Lufthansa's bottom line as well. Now, just to to, to round off our chat, you, know, you were at the uh, Lufthansa Digital Days uh, last week. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that will, or how Lufthansa thinks that will affect the future of their passenger experience? Definitely, yeah. So. Um, Lufthansa CEO Carson Spohr last week, he, he gave a presentation. He told us that he sees Lufthansa as one of the most digital airlines out there. Um, he said that this is going to be the year of digital for Lufthansa. Um, and they are particularly looking at how they can use all the, all the customer data that they have on file, all the people who come to their own website to book their flights, um, how they can analyze that data in order to make more personalized offers for their customers. And that's what it's uh, really about for Lufthansa. That's, that's their big aim is to, is to try and, and is to try and give customers yeah, more personal offers in order to encourage them to fly with, with Lufthansa more often. So they are, they're looking at um, compiling all the data from, from visits to their website, looking at the kind of routes people are searching for, what trips they've booked before in order to do that. Um, they also told us about an interesting project at Munich Airport where they have installed over 200 Bluetooth, Bluetooth beacons and um, and they can track their passengers who are using the Lufthansa app through the airport. Hmm. And they will... And so they can work out, you know, using your location where you are in the airport and to see how much time you have at the airport before you have to go to the gate for your flight. And if you have plenty of time, then, for example, a notification will pop up on your phone offering regular passengers, not just not just business ones, but uh, obviously, but offering regular passengers um, access to their lounge in Munich for a fee. Right. Um, and of course, this um, but this sort of uses lots of data from elsewhere as well. So if, for example, that there, like, there, like there was last week, if there are snow delays in Germany and therefore the lounges are quite full, then they won't be offering those lounge access passes to, to non-business flyers because they, they do want to keep the, the business lounge a, a fairly calm and, and, a, and relaxing place. Mm, no, interesting. Now, of course, that, that year of digital for Lufthansa aspect will be interesting. I mean, Lufthansa was one of the original airlines to have... Um, Wi-Fi connectivity on their long-haul flights, mm. um, launch partner for connection by Boeing, and they maintained it um, through this Panasonic KU system. And they seem to be uh, relatively happy with that for their long-haul. And of course, they've taken um, Inmarsat's product for the short-haul. Um, now, that, was, mm. that wasn't that was used this week, was it? It was sort of slightly demonstrated. Yes, it was. It was only slightly demonstrated. We did get taken on a flight uh, from Frankfurt Airport. It was about an hour long. It sort of uh, went, uh, took out to to Luxembourg and, and turned around and uh, and came back again. And they um, they did an interview on board with various different people and they they streamed it to our mobile devices. We all got given. Um, iPhones and they they streamed the the interview live to the iPhones that we'd been given whilst we were on board. Um, the connection on that worked absolutely fine. Um, it's uh, it seemed very good. Unfortunately, we weren't able to test it on our own devices. Um, 
But it's it's interesting that they are rolling out the the Wi-Fi in a in a big way on their on their short haul fleet um, in Europe. It, they'll be one of the um, the first major carriers to do so in Europe. I know that I know that Wi-Fi on board domestic flights has been the norm for a couple of years now in the states. Um, and in fact, they did actually want to start rolling it out in October, um, but it has been delayed slightly whilst they whilst they tweak whilst they tweak the technology. They didn't seem to be uh, where it wanted to be to begin with, so that's why we're seeing the rollout um, only this year rather than October, as as was originally said. Yeah, I mean, as I understand it, they've been installing the equipment on the aircraft, but just basically not switching it on, right? Yes, yes. They say it takes them about four days per aircraft to install it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. And of course, once they are happy with it, that does give them a larger number of sort of base aircraft where they can just flick the switch. Um, but did did they talk at all about any of the operational improvements that they're looking to see from from having more connectivity on their short haul fleet with as well as a long haul fleet? They didn't really talk so much um, about that, I'm afraid. They did have um, one interesting uh, project that they were showcasing there, which has been set up by their Lufthansa Technic uh, Maintenance Unit, which is um, a tool for airlines to monitor all of the um, all of the sensors in the in their aircraft, um, and it will give them. Um, Will give them a heads up on when particular parts of the of the planes need replacing, and uh, the one example they showed was igniter plugs, hmm. and um, and these have a certain shelf life, and um, traditionally airlines had no way of knowing how many times those igniter plugs had been used, and um, and so they just took a decision to replace them sooner rather than later, of course. Um, and Lufthansa Technik says that um, with this new tool, then you have a much better idea of your igniter plugs, and um, and and you can save quite a lot of money um, if you if you don't um, replace them um, sooner than you need to. And um, and and they're sort of going to be they're they're in the test phase of of this tool at the moment, um, using it on their on their own operations, of course. But they are they are hoping to um, they're hoping to push that out um, to external customers as well. And they say that the benefit that this app brings is that it will, or this tool rather, is that it will. It doesn't matter whether you're running an Airbus or a, or a Boeing um, plane or an, or indeed a Bombardier or anything else. Um, it will be a, a neutral, will be a neutral tool that can be used across mixed fleets as well. And so that's that's one way that they are that they are looking at at using big data and digitalization not only for their own Lufthansa planes but also as a way for the wider Lufthansa group to make more money via external customers. And I found I found that quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's great to see you know we've we've heard lots of promises about what the internet of things is going to be doing for aviation. Um but that's that's a really interesting example of something that it's it's by no means glamorous or or, or sexy, right? But it's <laughs> it will actually save you know real cash money for airlines. Um and of course, you know, that's that that's a big thing that, that all airlines are looking at, and not not just Lufthansa. Um, now, indeed, if, yeah. If if you're looking three to six months out from here for Lufthansa, what are the what are the big milestones going to be? So there's going to be some industrial relations, I assume. Uh, yes, certainly. As I um, we're expecting news on the on the talks with the pilots, um, hopefully at the end of this month. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes forward. Um, one of the, the big challenges for Lufthansa this year will be um, will be expanding the Eurowings operation. Um, it's going to be going from about 90 aircraft at present to about 160 by the end of this year. So that's a that's a vast ramp up that they've got to deal with there, and that's you know and that's integrating the the Air Berlin wet leases as well. That's going to be a big challenge. And also the Brussels Airlines planes. And they've got to juggle all this whilst keeping their costs down at the same time. Because as, as we've seen, you just simply have to lower your costs if, if you're going to compete with, with the likes of Ryanair, EasyJet, and of course, Emirates, um, and, uh, and Etihad and, and Qatar on, on the long haul. Yeah, it's interesting. It'll be a fascinating year for, for watching this part of the world. Um, well, that's it for today's conversation. Uh, we certainly hope you enjoyed it, and we're always keen to find out what you think. Please feel free to email me at john at runwaygirlnetwork.com with any suggestions. Thank you to our guest, Victoria Brown. Victoria, where can our listeners find you? Yes, you can um, You can find me on Twitter, where I'll, where I'll be uh, tweeting stories. And you can also go to the Reuters.com website and take a look at all my stories on there as well. Great. And you've got a special Reuters Aerospace News Twitter handle, isn't it? We certainly do. It's at Reuters Aero, and it covers everything from airlines to aerospace and also the occasional bit of space travel as well. Oh, marvellous. One of my faves. As ever, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at ThatJohn and everything from Runway Girl Network on Twitter at Runway Girl and at runwaygirlnetwork.com. Thanks for listening.